Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I'm so glad you've joined us here on the Clark Howard Show as we throw out our normal programming to answer your questions about the effects and after effects of coronavirus on you and your wallet. Uh, Our websites, Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com, have both pivoted very heavily to serving your specific questions that will change over time about coronavirus and Clark deals is doing deals devoted to things that you are specifically interested in right now that you're going to need or want as we go through the weeks and months in our battle against coronavirus. Coming up later, I want to tell you about the second bill that is now law that Congress has passed that involves sick leave and how that in theory, is going to work moving forward so that you'll know as an individual who needs to take sick leave or a business owner who doesn't provide it normally and now may well be required to. I want to talk right now about the stock market because there's been a lot of anxiety in people about their 401ks, Roth IRAs, or regular investment accounts. Because for many people who were not of age yet during the banking scandals of 07, 08, and 09, and the massive decline in stock values during that era, there's really no um, history you have to know where this goes from here. Just so you know, During the financial crisis from 07 to 09, stocks fell just under 60% in value in a relatively short number of months. And I want you to know how this all plays out so that you make what is the potentially the best decisions. I'm not going to say right decisions with your money because Every situation has its own wrinkles and differences, but I want to tell you what the odds typically are working for or against you. So, there was a wonderful chart that Morningstar put out that shows various uh, huge stock market declines, starting with one that was up to that point the worst in the history of the stock market except for a brief period in 1929. And that's the 1987 stock market crash, where in just a few days, a massive amount of U.S. investments in just days were wiped out. Now, it goes through a variety of things. You may not know except from history, the first Gulf War, that happened 30 years ago and what happened with the market then. There was also a a back-to-back thing where in Asia there was a breakdown in the financial markets and 
in the flow of money and caused a huge decline, a depression in many countries in the late 90s. Then we had a tech bubble that burst back around 2000. We had the financial crisis I just talked about. And so you've got these instances that had very, very, very large declines. The one in 1987 ended up being a net decline after the initial much larger one of about 35%. And that all happened in just several weeks, like the situation we're in now, but the losses could be larger today. Now, interestingly enough, when the decline stopped, the recovery over the next year did not make up all those losses. It only made up two-thirds of the losses. If people held in the game, they had a very nice recovery. But in that following 12 months, people did not make up all their money. And it varies from time after time. In the Gulf War scenario, stocks fell 20% in just a matter of a small number of weeks. And then in the next year, went up 30%. When the problem happened in Asia, U.S. stocks in about five weeks dropped 20%, and the following year went up 38%, double that. Now, the tech bubble, that when that burst in 2000, the declines continued for almost three years, and the market lost 50% of its value. But then in the fourth year, stocks gained back two-thirds of that again. Again, not all of it, but two-thirds of the loss. Financial crisis, as I mentioned briefly a minute ago, during the financial crisis, stocks fell just under 60% over a year-and-a-half period. And then over the next year, they gained 70%. The decline seemed like it was never going to end and we would never recover from it. And so each of these times that had brutal effects on stock investors, the only people who actually got hurt were people who sold and didn't wait for the eventual recovery. The psychological harm for people right now seems to be magnified because people have the double fear of their health and the well-being of their fellow family members, and they're not around their normal social network, so they have more time to freak themselves out. And then they see the value of their accounts, if they're looking too closely, going down, down, down. So we're down over the last couple of weeks. We have lost three plus years of gains in the stock market. So in two weeks, we lost three years. But you only lost that three years of gain if you sell. So I encourage you to really think once, twice, three times before you act. Because if you sell, 
you lock in the losses. If you stay, you could have more losses, true, going forward for now. But there's nothing about our economy that fundamentally says it is toast. Right now, the economy is going in the toilet. It's basically going into hibernation. And the short term will be brutal for investors and for every day, all of us in our lives, living our lives as we're used to. But the recovery will come. So, Kim, what you got first, and I should say, Kim, I want to thank you and Joel both for going into our studio every day, exposing yourself to, the, to germs at a much greater rate than I am just hanging out at home. Well, it's no problem. You should know and our listeners should know that we are being so very cautious and wiping down the studio head to toe before we touch anything. And even though Joel and I normally share an office, we're actually social distancing even in our small little room. So we are taking precautions. And normally we would go straight to your questions with you asking me directly. But we found that in the midst of our alternate alternative programming we're doing for coronavirus that we're able to get more done if we take some of the um, personality out of our show if you will and go straight to questions that you have posted at clark.com slash ask or on social media that kim and joel are asking not that i'm saying joel and kim that you don't have personality thank you for clarifying yes <laughs> <laughs> All right. To start out, I'm going to read you a two-part. This is from Edward, and then there's a follow-up from Reginald. What's going on with the checks that all Americans are supposed to get to help with the coronavirus? Do I need to register for that relief? How does the government know my address and my bank information? And then the follow-up is, would the stimulus package, the $1,000, would that also go to retired and disabled people? So this is all very much unsettled right now. There are proposals coming from multiple members of the House and Senate, and it is, um, it's basically a cake they haven't even figured out the ingredients in or what flavor that cake's going to be. In terms of what would happen if they ultimately do adopt some flat cash payments that will be sent to taxpayers, the guess is, as much as they can, they will use IRS records or Social Security records to send money by direct deposit and be able to ramp up much quicker than has historically been the case, where any kind of government check during an emergency has tended to take at least nine to ten weeks from legislation being passed till that money is in people's hands. So the idea of... of what the check will be, how many checks there will be, how much money each check will be, all these things are still being decided. And then it will be up to the folks that run the federal agencies being asked to send out these checks to figure out the most efficient and appropriate way to do them when Congress ultimately decides how it's all going to play. 
All right, Clark, and uh, Marilyn has a question. She says, last year, my husband and I sold our home and we put the proceeds into an online savings account for a future home purchase. Due to the current economy, are online banks still safe? This bank that I'm with does have FDIC insurance. Thank you, and that's a wonderful question. And there will be different wrinkles with that question that I'll address again and again. The short answer is any money you have in an online bank, an uh, a traditional bank, an NCUA insured credit union, which is NCUA is the equivalent of FDIC, your accounts are insured directly by the feds for a quarter million dollars. So your money will be completely safe. If an institution seizes up, fails, and is taken over by the federal government, your money will still be safe and as has happened in the past and happened so clearly during the banking scandals in seven eight and nine people's money almost 100 percent of the time was available the next day from a bank failing so of the things that i would be concerned about or worried about the safety and security of money up to $250,000 in a bank is one thing that does not to be on your worry list at all. Kim? Phyllis says that we hear traveling on cruise ships and airlines isn't a good idea. What about traveling by car? What about pillows in hotel rooms? Could they carry COVID-19? Okay. Um, first of all, on hotels, there's been a lot of stuff published about hotels. I should reiterate that I am not uh, knowledgeable about science or medicine. I can only parrot what I read because I was the worst science student in the history of high school. And medicine, nobody would survive if I was treating them in a medical situation. But driving in your own car is the safest form of transport that's available right now in the United States. You're isolated from others. When you go to a gas station, you can easily distance from others. And you want to use a paper towel when you are pumping gas. The hotel thing, though, is a more difficult one because there are going to be uh, potential germs and contamination. The good thing is that hotel, not for the hotel operators, but good for you, trying to be safe. Hotel occupancies have generally fallen to about 7 to 10%, meaning that you are essentially quarantined in a hotel because virtually no one else will be there. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate Cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. As we continue our coverage of coronavirus and the fallout for your wallet, we are changing up our format some on the Clark Howard Show and instead of having you directly ask me a question, producers Joel and Kim are doing so. And here's Joel now. 
Clark Tammy had a question. She says, due to COVID-19, my employer has opted to stop matching my 401k contributions. Should I reduce those contributions to my 401k? I'm not eligible for a Roth IRA due to my income. Well, congratulations that you make enough income to not be Roth eligible. As far as continuing the contributions, since you can't do a Roth IRA and you don't want to stop saving, there's an enormous advantage to you right now contributing to your employer's 401k. Stocks are so beat up now, even if they decline further, it's still weirdly to your advantage long term to not only continue contributing to the 401k where you work, but if you can make up what the employer is no longer matching and increase your contributions to your 401k, that would be very much to your advantage because long term, of course, things will recover. Short term, you're buying what you're buying each month at lower and lower cost, giving you a greater long term return. Now, don't do any of this if your job is at risk and you face the potential of being unemployed later this year, then you'd be better off if you build up an emergency savings account for you to pay bills. Kim? Sonny wants to know if this is a good time to invest money in casinos. He says shares are down to $3.49. So investing in a casino right now is a crapshoot. I'm sorry. I couldn't resist that. Ah. So... Going into casino stocks, going into cruise line stocks, anything that's in 100% discretionary uh, vacation or leisure activity is a gamble, truly. So if you are that kind of personality that you have money, you can put at risk knowing that eventually we will defeat coronavirus and people will be back doing leisure activities if you have money that you're not concerned about, if you lost it, you could hit a big number. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where we are here at your service answering your questions about the effects on you, your wallet, your family from coronavirus. And we're also doing the same at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com. We're specifically posting deals at ClarkDeals.com. For things that you need right now as you may be sheltering in place. I want to talk about the very confusing actions coming out of Washington and the second piece of legislation to come out of Washington is the Families First Coronavirus Response Act is its name and it was designed to see that assistance was available to people so that people would not go to work sick and spread a potentially um, uh, what could be lethal coronavirus to other fellow workers, customers, suppliers, anybody at that business. Because in the United States, a huge percent of workers have no sick leave paid at all. 
And so if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. So because of this health emergency, Congress ended up passing after much back and forth and discussion and changes to the legislation, a somewhat watered down bill to see that you, if you are ill, that you would be able to get paid for it while you're out. So at the base of it, an employer that does not offer sick leave will now in many cases be required to offer sick leave and they don't have to pay you your full salary if you make a ton of money. The benefit is a very generous benefit though. It's over $500 a day, 511 if you want to be exact, for two weeks of work. Now if you need to care for a family member, you can actually receive compensation for a period that can go as long as 10 weeks under certain circumstances, but you don't get all your pay. You get two-thirds of what your pay has been, capped at $200 per day. And even if, let's say, nobody has coronavirus at your home, but your kid's school is closed, or schools, if you have multiple kids, their schools are closed, and so you need to be home with your kids so they're not latchkey kids, then for 10 weeks, you can receive potentially two-thirds of your pay up to an amount of $200 a day, $1,000 a week. So if you make less than uh, 200 a day, it doesn't mean you get 200 a day. If you make more than 200 a day, let's say you make 300 a day, you're capped at 200 because you get two-thirds of your normal pay. Did I just make your head spin and your eyes glaze over? There are a number of provisions in this that allow employers to opt out. As an example, if an employer has less than 50 workers, which is actually a large number of us, I think about, is it 30% of us, some number around that, work for employers who employ less than 50 people. So this legislation does apply in that case unless that employer waivers out. There will be a procedure where if an employer says, this creates too much hardship on me to pay people who are not at work, then the employer can petition to not have to cover his or her workers with the paid time off for illness or the family leave in the event there's a family circumstance. The, at the other extreme, large employers, the very largest ones, are generally exempt under the legislation. And the reason they were exempted is overwhelmingly large employers already offer some method of paid leave. And so they're being left to their own devices because the biggest gap was for the roughly half of Americans who work for smaller employers. It gets up to half when you consider small employers that employ more than 50 people. Now, I want you to know when I talk about something like this, and you heard me give very, very specific numbers, and they can be overwhelming by themselves. 
know that there's going to be continuing pieces of legislation that come out of the Congress that will change benefits that have already been granted by prior legislation, either reducing them, changing the rules for them, making them more generous. So this is a moving target, and the responses to coronavirus are not going to be like, okay, we did our thing, we're done, we're washing our hands of it, it's over. This is going to be a continuing management of the health side of coronavirus and the economic and personal toll side of coronavirus that we're looking at many, many months that this will go on. And Kim, who do you have a question from right now? I have a question from Kimberly, and no, it is not me. Kimberly's (laughs) Kimberly's son has been told to vacate the university in which he attends due to COVID-19. He lives in an off-campus apartment and now does not need that apartment. He wants to terminate his lease, and the apartment complex has said that he needs to pay for the remainder of the lease, which is a total of four months. Is there any actions that he can take to not have to pay this? That is a great question, and this is one we're going to have more wrinkles on than any of us could have pictured, is a third of us live in rental housing. A lot of college students move off campus, even if they're required to stay in dorms as freshmen, uh, some schools pass the freshman year, eventually they move off campus. So students who are being told they have to vacate university housing are generally receiving credits. But again, I'm saying generally because not every college is doing the same thing. For students that are living off campus, it is completely up to each landlord what they choose to do. And if a landlord says, life's tough and we don't care, they can rely, as of now, on what's in the lease. So it would be up to the Congress to override state landlord-tenant laws and say that leases due to coronavirus can be terminated. And I have not heard any of that germinating at all in the Congress. So as of today, it's up to that landlord and that landlord's policy. Joel? Yeah, Clark Ashley wrote in, says, in light of COVID-19 and social distancing, I want to cancel a condo we booked in Florida for Easter weekend, but the management company won't let me out of that. They'll only let me switch states, but that doesn't work for me. So is there any law that forces them to allow me to cancel this reservation? There is no law that allows the cancellation of that reservation. And we talked recently about how Airbnb is handling it. And Airbnb landlords are very upset that Airbnb has been doing very generous refunds, even on non-refundable bookings. When you book directly through a rental management agency, each rental management agency can establish its own policy And they can say no refunds, no changes. They can say no refunds, but you can use the money at a future date. Or they can say, we understand, here's your money back. And all three are occurring, although much more often dealing with a uh, rental management agency, they are not permitting refunds really uh, routinely at all. It's 
almost always going to be a credit towards a future stay. So you don't have a legal right with them to require them to give that money back unless unless there is a legal move out of Washington banning vacation travel. And if that were to happen, then that would override the existing agreement and the real estate, the vacation rental agency would at that point almost certainly have to give you a refund. Kim? All right, Clark. David says that he is out of work like so many others. But he, Sorry, David. I know. Um, but he has skills, skills that could be put to good use during this time. But he doesn't know where to start. He assumes that a lot of HR staff are not at their companies. And he doesn't know where to actually start looking for a job. He thinks that he could definitely contribute. So the jobs that are becoming obvious are anything involved with logistics, potentially manufacturing, and with um, any form of home delivery. So Amazon itself says that it's adding 100,000 people, and they've had a lot of workers who've not wanted to come into work because they're afraid of exposure to coronavirus or COVID-19 from other workers. And so Amazon unilaterally boosted pay to try to find people that would come in. So there's going to be turnover in warehouse facilities for retailers like Amazon where people are afraid to be in close contact with other people in logistics settings, warehouse settings. And so there's going to be some job turnover that's going to create opportunities for people who are not afraid to go work in close proximity to others. There will also be any of a number of jobs in the medical field. Medicine is, uh, for better or worse, roughly 20% of our nation's economy, and that will grow significantly over the next four months and represent a much larger percent of the U.S. economy. So there are areas where we're going to see demand for employees spike at the same time that other employees are laying people off in very large numbers. Joel? Yeah, Clark, Sue had a question. She says, help, Clark, we're about to close on an existing home here in Oregon just seven days from now. But as we all know, our world is now suddenly facing a stunning economic downturn. So what do we do? We plan to stay in the house for two to five years, but who knows if our jobs will be secure now. There's so much uncertainty. It's a well-priced home in a desirable area, but we don't want to take an immediate loss by buying this house. So if you have a window of two to five years, that is normally a shaky window regardless of what's going on with general economic conditions. But the thing that I've been saying about the housing is that you brought up a second part of, and that is if your jobs look secure with the ultra-low mortgage rates that exist today, it's a good idea to go ahead and close on that home purchase. In your circumstance where you're nervous about what's going to happen with your jobs, if that is a strong possibility that your jobs would evaporate, you're asking a lot of yourself to go forward with the purchase of that home. Now let's talk about the contract for that home. You will be in breach of that contract if you don't close. So there's a question of consequences from the seller 
if you do not close. On the other hand, if one or the other of you that are being relied on to make this deal happen loses your job before that closing in seven days, then likely under your agreement to purchase that house, you have an out. At a minimum, normally in a situation, if you just say, we're freaked out, we're walking away, and the technical circumstances required of you have not changed, at a minimum, you would walk away from the money you have in escrow. So this is not an easy choice for you to make. If you told me your ownership window was going to be seven years or longer likely, I would say even considering the uncertainty of today, the fact that today's conditions are shorter term, I would say go ahead and close. I can't say that with the various stipulations you raised to me. Here on the Clark Howard Show, we are not taking your calls directly right now during coronavirus or COVID-19. We are instead having you post questions for me at clark.com ask. And then producers Joel and Kim are alternating asking questions. And who's up now? I'm up now. All right, Kim. Christine uh, says that she works as a corporate meeting planner right now. She still has a job, but she's absolutely worried about it because travel has been hit so hard. So right now she has eight months of emergency savings, but she wants to know, should she stop contributing to her 401k and just save as much cash as possible? So first of all, you are an incredible person that you saved eight months of living expenses. And that money will serve you very well now. I think you're good to go ahead and continue contributing to your 401k. You're obviously someone who has a mentality where you live well below your means. And eight months is something that would be a dream to almost every American right now because very, very few people have that kind of reserve on hand. Joel? Clark Diana says, I have a small Roth IRA. I'm not currently contributing to it, but I'm a single mom. I can't right now. Should I be pulling out some of those contributions as rainy day money uh, to, to help me during this time? That is a wonderful question, and it's the distinction with the difference that's so valuable right now between a traditional IRA and a Roth IRA. With a Roth IRA, at any time, for any reason, you can pull out the money you contributed, leaving your earnings behind, no penalties, obviously no tax. So what I'm recommending is that you leave the money in your Roth IRA. If push comes to shove and your finances just require it, at that time, you would withdraw your contributions, but not yet. Because if you end up not needing them, it's better to have that money remain in your Roth IRA rather than pull it out now and forever lose the opportunity to have that money in your Roth. Kim? Jake wants to know, I was wondering if COVID-19, if it makes sense to stop investing completely in the downturn. He's a teacher with a 403B with one of the few companies that you tolerate, but should he just stop contributing? Well, as a teacher, odds are overwhelming your pay is going to continue and you're not at risk job-wise. 
there's way more advantages to continuing to contribute than not because of the long-term play you have in that 403B. And I'm glad you've got a good one. The podcast normally would end here, but because of the unusual circumstances we're in, we have additional content that we recorded earlier today that I'd like you to have access to. And this will continue day by day as long as the events warrant. And I want you to know that after a period of time that our leadership in Washington was really asleep at the switch on coronavirus, now it's got everybody's attention. And so every phase of life that Washington can affect financially, they're looking at. Because the idea, the goal is to prevent us having a depression. I mean, that's really what it is. So I want to talk about different ways they're doing it. And one of the ways is involving our tax returns. So normally the money you owe, if you owe money, is due on tax day. Even if you file an extension, the money you owe is owed that day. Failure to pay on time leads to both interest and penalties. Well, what is being crafted right now, and still the final wording is not done, is where you will not have to pay the tax you owe for your business or for you individually for a delayed period of time as a way of keeping money in individuals and businesses' hands. Uh, this was not out of altruism. It was really a 90-day timeout with the idea being that by the time people would have to pay taxes in midsummer, that there would be money available to pay those taxes. In the meantime, businesses with reduced activity, consumers that may have had incomes cut back or jobs lost, would be able to hold on to that money that you would have paid in taxes. Uh, there's still one thing that's still open is do you, do you have to file on time even if you're not paying on time? Tax preparers are like, you got to be out of your mind if you expect us to get these returns filed by April 15th because that means in every accounting office that does tax, everybody's going to have to be together in close quarters working on those taxes. So the second shoe to drop will be that tax day will move from April 15th to July 15th in total. And I think that is pretty much a near certainty as right now we're only four weeks away approximately from when returns are due. A huge number of people have already filed, people who are getting refunds. And if you are getting a refund, there's nothing in this for you. It's to your advantage if you are going to be owed a refund, to go ahead and file right away so that that money is in your hands, not in the government's hands, when you may need it so badly right now in your life. And here's something else I wanted to talk about today. I want to tell you that even though right now things feel really unsettled and uncertain, we are going to be a-okay. And 
societies adjust, business adjusts, we are going to um, make the adjustments we need to in our own lives. And we fail many times when there are unexpected circumstances to give ourselves enough credit for our ability as individuals and as a society to flex as we need to. I want to give an example right now going on with the shopping thing that's been so ever-present. Producer Kim was in a supermarket today, early this morning, and it was very uncrowded in the morning, but also many of the shelves were bare. They were empty. And that's because as people suddenly became really focused on having to, quote-unquote, shelter in place or whatever we want to call it. I call myself in quarantine, doing everything I do, radio and TV, from my home instead of in a more normal environment in the studio that, you know, I'm learning to fix my own meals. I mean, who knew I could fix my own meals? Because I'm one of those people who has typically eaten out every meal that's ever existed. On the issue of shortages in the supermarkets, there are two factors you got to know. One is that there was some panic buying, and that is now lessening. And also, supermarket chains, the big ones, have very sophisticated uh, food inventory systems. And the biggest ones even produce in their own factories processed foods that go on the shelves. So we're going to have reliable supplies in the supermarkets. The hours are shifting, and the hours are, when I say shifting, they're being cut back by so many retailers. I alluded to that the other day, how Walmart and many others are no longer offering 24 hours at their 24-hour super, uh, supermarkets and traditional Walmarts as well. The way they call neighborhood markets of the supermarkets. And then a traditional Walmart, they're all cutting back their hours that they're available. And supermarket chains that compete against Walmart cutting back their hours so that they have more time to restock shelves. Again, the crowds that were so intense for days at Sam's Club and Costco where the fights broke out and at the supermarkets, that initial wave of press of shoppers, that's done. And we're going to fall into a pattern where shopping is more routinized and the inventories rebuild and will become items will not be in short supply or not available. Now, senior citizens, special shopping hours for you are now available at more and more places. And many other retailers that don't sell food are going to close their doors temporarily. And this is going to be a lost season for fashion for women. And it's going to be a lost season for many other kinds of retail environments. But right now, it's back to basics and having groceries available, having food available is core and key.
Now, we actually had delivered food last night for dinner from an Italian restaurant that we that we really like that's near our home, and they had sent out an email what special system they had set up for deliveries that had great precautions for making sure they were not a cause of health problems for us or anyone else. And it was really impressive, and the food was great. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.